This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into another episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. My name is Jacob Rudner alongside Swamp 247 staff writer Graham Hall. And Graham, we have a very special episode of the Swamp 247 podcast today. Uh, it is prediction day. We're going to go through uh, a list of questions that you and I have created for ourselves. Uh, we're going to answer them, uh, get into some of the weeds here on some of these predictions. We're going to talk stats. We're going to talk leaders. Uh, just some, uh, some, some things to get people ready for the season, which gets going in just a couple days. We're recording this on Tuesday, August 30th. Florida, of course, starts its season on September 3rd against Utah at home. Uh, that's a tough game. Uh, but I say we jump right into it. We got, we got a whole list of things to do, much to get through. Uh, and we're going to go by position in a way. I think that people will eventually see. We, so defensively, we are going to go through some more broad strokes predictions. Uh, whereas offensively, we did break it down uh, by position group. And we're going to start our process here with the quarterback room. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit of Anthony Richardson. I'm curious from you, first and foremost, does Anthony Richardson throw for more than 2,500 passing yards this season? Why or why not? Uh, let's just get right into it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's break it all down right now. I think that Richardson, a lot of people are expecting him to have this huge season from a, I think, play standard, highlight standard in a sense here, but will he have the statistical numbers that are going to warrant that first round projection that I think a lot of people are looking for from him? That's, a th I think, a really huge question that Florida is going to answer when the season opens on Saturday. I I'm thinking that Richardson could have a season where he throws for more than 2,500 yards. I'm going to go with, yes, he does on this one. I, I think that he is a capable quarterback and that's just an average, a little bit more than 200 yards per game. And I think that that is certainly possible, even though we do know that Billy Napier is going to establish a run heavy offense here in Gainesville. I, I think that absolutely you will see Richardson have games of 200 yard passing yards or more, whether he's reaching the heights of Kyle Trask from a few seasons ago, of 400 yard passing games. I, I don't know. Those are records at Florida after all for a reason here. And I just think that tempering expectations, knowing what Napier's bringing in and knowing that this is a guy who, while he is certainly very talented in the starting quarterback, I think there are questions still that he has to answer, and whether he's going to go out there and have these put up these huge numbers right off the bat, I think is another huge question. He may eventually by the end of the season, but you know these first couple of games, especially considering the opponent, could result in him kind of coming along uh, a little bit here and gradually progressing. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I this is one that I struggled with. Uh, when we when we started playing this game. I should add, though, um, we are doing this, at, at, and I actually probably should have prefaced this with you earlier before the show, but we'll do it on air with everybody. Uh, we are going to include all games. So if Florida plays a bowl game in college football, that does count uh, towards a player's season stats. They do not cap it off at the end of the regular season. So 
if Florida gets to a bowl game this year and Anthony Richardson needs a little bump to achieve one of our statistical markers, it does count. Uh, and with that in mind, I think he does pass 2,500 yards. I'm in agreement with you. Uh, say Florida does not reach a bowl game in 12 contests in the regular season to hit 2,500 yards. Uh, Anthony Richardson would have to average basically just over 208 yards a week. I think that's well within reason. Uh, I would say that the the primary factor in us setting the 2,500 number, in my opinion at least, uh, is that we think Florida is going to run the ball a whole bunch, uh, up to 60% of the time, perhaps even more. They have four very good running backs. Anthony Richardson himself is a runner, which is is our next category actually. But uh, you know, for those reasons, I think that 2,500 was a good uh, over-under number. Of course, anybody listening to this, on uh, especially on YouTube, if you want to comment uh, your predictions, we welcome you to do that. Uh, but I'm going to go, yes, Anthony Richardson does achieve more than 2,500 passing yards, but what will he do as a runner? That is the next question. Anthony Richardson over under 700 rushing yards on the season. Graham, I will send it to you first, obviously. Uh, what is your prediction here? Over under 700 on the ground. I am going to go over. I, I do think that 700 is definitely doable. You have a guy last year in Emory Jones, who in a different offense, of course, was able to produce numbers like that. He had a little over 750 rushing yards last year in Florida's offense. And I think that while that really kind of can be considered a benchmark in a sense, I think that if we are going to see Florida use their running backs as much as Napier and coach Jaluk have alluded to, maybe that does cut down the amount of design runs for a quarterback and of course, I think no one certainly is predicting the possibility of broken plays that require Richardson to take off running, get outside the pocket and try and make something happen. But with that said, I do think that 700 plus yards is definitely doable for him this season, um, even though, you know, he only had 401 last year. Uh, it was in a reserve role. I think you're going to see him just achieve that. You know, Florida fans saw him take off on a, a couple um, very lengthy runs, that 70 plus yard run he had early in the season and you know you get a couple of those and you make up ground pretty quickly not to use a pun there but i think that with him you're going to see him have um more than 700 yards and that gives him 3000 total yard plus yards on the season if both of those predictions do ring true which in my mind is an extremely successful campaign for a quarterback yeah i'm with you i think anthony richardson is due for at least 700 rushing yards if you look back to last year emory jones finished his season with 758 rushing yards he averaged 5.3 yards per carry and scored four touchdowns. Uh, just with everything we know about how Billy Napier doesn't seem to have any plans to uh, limit Anthony Richardson's rushing attack, it was something that he said has to be a part of Florida's identity, which is a very big, uh, it's a very big thing to, to try and make a single characteristic of one player a part of your overall identity. Uh, I don't think Florida has any plans to limit him in that regard. Uh, I think that this offense suits Anthony Richardson really well. It's going to go to play actions. There will be, uh, you know, read option type things, I think, throughout the season, especially uh, with a guy with Anthony Richardson's athleticism at the quarterback position. I think that Florida would be remiss to not take advantage. Uh, and 700 rushing yards at the end of the day, especially if you spread that over 13 games, you know, you're talking about averaging just over 50 yards per, uh, 50 yards per game. Uh, and I think that that's absolutely something that, given his athleticism, and his potency as a runner that he should be able to do. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about some scoring production here. Anthony Richardson 
Uh, 20 and a half passing touchdowns is the number you and I set. For context, Emory Jones threw 19 touchdowns last year against 13 interceptions. I think interestingly, though, uh, Florida as a whole, and yes, Trent Whittemore is a part of this number, uh, Florida as a whole threw for 27 touchdowns last season. So certainly within possibility that he goes well over the 20 and a half mark, but we decided to set it uh, at this point just because we didn't want to overdo it. Uh, where where is Anthony Richardson? Are you going? Are you going three straight overs? Uh, you thinking? You thinking it's an under on this one? Twenty and a half passing touchdowns. Yeah, I am going to go with over, especially because I I think it's difficult to see a guy pass for over twenty five hundred yards and and then not have twenty plus touchdowns to back that up. Uh, you know, I, I think that you know both of those things have to be true in my mind, or or else it's not really. It's indicative of some someone who's not really taking advantage of red zone opportunities, or there's maybe an issue there. And, and Florida has talked about making sure that they maximize red zone opportunities, or maybe it is a sign that Florida is going to pound the ball and run it when they get inside the 10-yard line, 20-yard line. I think you could see that a lot more this season rather than these uh, you know, passing opportunities that kind of, I think, increase your turnover margin, your risk for uh you know, causing turnovers inside the red zone. And, and so I think with four capable running runners and also a, a starting quarterback, who's going to run, you could see those touchdown numbers cut down a little bit from a passing perspective. But I do think that Richardson is going to have more than 20. I don't know if he has more than 25, but I certainly think that 20 is a doable number, but a lot of this is going to come down to Florida's the split of their play calling here. And, and we could see a lot more runs than, we have been thinking and and a lot of people have been believing are going to be possible from this team. Uh, They really have not given too much. You and I have written about this, but they haven't given too much when it comes to divulging much of about the offensive split and and philosophy and and play calling and how much guys like Richardson, who again are coming off of um, a lower body injury that, that limited his mobility, how much he's going to be used in the run game, knowing that he's been injured before and the, the quarterback situation behind him having lost Jack Miller is a little bit more dicey. Does that affect affect how much he's being used in the run game? Um, it may lead him to be more of a passing quarterback than many people are, are believing right now that, that uh, they would like to even use him at, if that makes sense. So I, I think that 20 plus passing touchdowns, given all the circumstances is, is extremely doable uh, for Anthony Richardson this season. This is going to be my first hot take. I'm going to go with under. Uh, on 20 and a half and I'm actually going to give an exact number I think he throws for 20 touchdowns on the nose uh the reason I'm going to go under on 20 and a half is because I think a lot of Florida's touchdown production is going to come from rushing in the red zone I think that Florida is going to put itself in a situation where it will make more sense uh given its overall team strengths uh given its offensive line given the fact that it has four serviceable running backs that will allow you to Uh, offer different looks. I think a lot of Florida's scoring production will come from its ground game. And that could be Anthony Richardson. I think that, uh, you know, we just talked about over under 700 rushing yards on the season. Do I think some of those long, maybe touchdown runs could be from, from the quarterback? I certainly do. Uh, And I think all of that contributes to obviously uh, fewer opportunities to throw four scores. And I think that for that reason alone, Uh, Anthony Richardson finishes his season with 20 passing touchdowns. It would be the same number of touchdowns, I should add, that Levi Lewis, the former quarterback, 
at the University of Louisiana under Billy Napier. Uh, he threw for 20 touchdowns in his final season as the only starter for the Ragin Cajuns. So I'm going to go under. Uh, that's the first time you and I have disagreed. We'll see if we do it again. Let's talk about rushing touchdowns. Six and a half is the line that I have set. Uh, this is not a category you and I talked about before the show, but I have now added it to the repertoire. Uh, let's go real quick here. Six and a half, Florida last year, Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones combined for seven. So does Anthony Richardson by himself uh, match or exceed that total, or does he stay six or under? Oh, man, I'm tempted again to go over. I, and I kind of feel like I'm, I'm, you know, that's four straight in a sense for me. So I, I am a little bit hesitant just from there, but I think that his physique, his size for the position makes him ideal to be used in, in quarterback design runs. <laughs> we all know that, especially in a sneak scenario. And people have also seen that he has the speed to take off, get out in the open field, make defenders miss and, you know, house touch touchdowns, whether he's, you know, 70 yards out or 40 yards out. So when I think of Anthony Richardson, I think is he's a guy that has, you know, short yardage ability and, you know, the ability to have this dynamic plays. So I think that I'm going to go over is what I'm saying here. I, I think that when you factor all that in, that's a lot of stuff that you can't really game plan for what Richardson has done in the past <clears throat> and not necessarily saying that this is precedent by any means, but what we've seen already is that he can score outside of the design plays, whether that's due to the pocket collapsing or it's due to him just, you know, making a decision, hurdling a defender, getting out in the open field and turning a, a short yardage play into a lengthy touchdown. I think that he's able to do both of those things. And that's going to lead to, I, I think possibly, double-digit rushing touchdowns this year. That would be uh, that would be quite the season if Anthony Richardson can rush for double-digit touchdowns. I will agree with you on one aspect of what you're saying. I don't necessarily think that it's 10 or more, but I do think it is higher than uh, six and a half rushing touchdowns. So I will also go over. I think that seven, eight, uh, maybe nine range for rushing touchdowns for Richardson is a really reasonable mark. Uh, I think that part of that has to do with Florida's running potency overall. Uh, I think that there could be less a need for him to have to scramble and and, and try and create production uh, with his legs if Florida's ground game gets going the way that I think you and I believe Florida might try and get it going. Uh, and that, again, is like the, with the passing touchdowns. I think that that could prove uh, somewhat limiting. Although, you know, if you're going to go over six and a half rushing touchdowns as a quarterback, uh, that is a great season potentially. Let's talk about a negative category, though. We've done a lot of positive. Uh, just to recap quickly, we've done passing yards, rushing yards, passing touchdowns. And rushing touchdowns for Florida's starting quarterback, Anthony Richardson. Let's talk turnovers, though. Uh, Anthony Richardson, interceptions. We set this number. I actually think uh, this is kind of high, which should elude uh, to what my answer will be. But we have set the number at nine and a half interceptions. I'm curious... Uh, what your take is. I will also remind the audience that if you are to go under here, it would be your first under uh, of the show. And we are through four categories. Oof. This is a tough one, man. I mean, I think that nine interceptions, if that's all that Florida throws all season, I think there are a lot of people that would take that, especially when you consider that Florida had twice that many last year. 
And while that was one of the worst in all of FBS Division One football, I, I think that expecting this massive jump may be a, a tall task. And this is not to criticize Anthony Richardson, who I think if you've been watching this and listening, you have a understanding that I, you know, have a great amount of respect for his talent and especially who he is as a person. But this year in a larger role, whether he's able to cut down on the turnovers, facing these tough defenses every single week in the SEC, I could see him having an interception a game in, in a sense. I think that's absolutely a possibility, and, and that kind of is just the nature of the beast sometimes here in the conference. You know, it, it's not always indicative of a quarterback's talent level. Sometimes it's the defense's prowess. So I think that I'm going to – I think I'm going to go with over – but just slightly, I could see 10 interceptions, maybe 11. And I still think that for a quarterback who had five last year, right, in a very limited role, to only have 11 when they're, or, or 10 when their targets are going to jump tenfold in their usage. If, if, if he's able to, even if the interceptions happen, if he's able to avoid fumbling at a high rate, not to kind of segue here, but if he's able to take care of the ball as a runner in this offense and the interceptions just, you know, sometimes that, that happens when they go off your receiver's hand and, and pop up in the air. And they're not always, like I said, indicative of a quarterback's talent level or capabilities. Um, I could see a way where he has, you know, double digit interceptions and it not being necessarily a bad thing. But um, I would like to eat crow on this one. Call me a downer on Anthony Richardson all you want, but I, I would like to eat a little crow at the end of the season if he comes in here with single-digit turnovers. All right, so Graham goes over. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to be brief here. I think that 9.5 is a big number. I think Anthony Richardson uh, will certainly get picked off. I don't think it's double-digit times. I think that he's able to keep it into the single-digit range. Uh, I'll guess either 8 or 9 interceptions, so I'm going under. Uh, and it brings me to our next position group. We're talking about the running backs. Uh, this is a unit that we project, and I think many fans do as well, uh, to be very, very heavily used this season. Uh, could be as much as, you know, in that 60, low 60s percent of the time range. Uh, Billy Napier has a history of running the ball. Uh, but interestingly, Florida has four running backs it views as serviceable. It might name a starter. Uh, we project that to be Naquan Wright. But uh, we don't think that that makes much a difference, that he's the starter. We think everybody gets involved in this room. And that is the reason for the first question of this section. And that is who leads the team in rushing yards. I don't think that this is clear cut at all. But I'm curious uh, who your take is on the rushing leader. Uh, and we can include Anthony Richardson. I will say that. So if you feel as though uh, Anthony Richardson's over 700 yards, as we both said, uh, is the most Florida gets, then that is acceptable. But I will, I will, the floor is yours. This is a good question, certainly. Um, I am tempted to go with Richardson, and I certainly see a path to Richardson being the leading rusher, but I'm kind of going to go with a bold one here, and I'm going to go with Montrell Johnson as Florida's leading rusher. I, I do think Naquan Wright is going to play a large role in this offense. I think people are forgetting how good he is as a pass-catching back. And he's also, I think, extremely skilled in pass pro and, and really hasn't spent a lot of time in fall camp. Um, 
you know, having to do a whole lot in that regard as he's kind of been brought along slowly, but he has been when he's on the field showing why he was even used last year behind guys who were in the NFL and Damian Pierce and Malik Davis. So I, I do think that Naquan, like I said, is going to play a large role. This is no disrespect to him, but I'm going to go with Montrell Johnson. You know, I, I think that basically what he did at Louisiana, his familiarity with the staff, their trust in him in an in-game scenario, even though it was in the Sun Belt, that, that's going to, I think, lead to him having the designation as maybe being the safe choice at running back. If someone fumbles or someone is not able to establish themselves in, in between the trenches and, and and get out in the open field and and isn't making the right moves. I think that, you know, Montrell is going to be a, a guy that the staff looks to first is getting into the game. And I, I think that given his, his status as, as someone who can run between the tackles, you are going to see him used a, a lot this season. And I'm going to go with him as being Florida's leading rusher. I like the pick. Uh, I, I especially like the how bold the pick is, and I will follow suit with a different name. I'm going to go with the freshman. I'm going to go Trevor Etienne. Ooh to lead the team in rushing yards, and I will tell you why. Uh, I have heard nothing but good things about this guy. It sounds like he is an advanced running back for his age. It sounds like he has uh, very good patience. He knows how to let a play develop in front of him. Uh, he has an eye for uh, setting up offensive linemen, making sure that blocks go uh, before he goes, and I think that that is... Uh, super important. I think that the level of respect that he has built up for himself in a really short time, this is a summer enrollee who has done the majority of his impressing uh, over the course of a month in fall camp. Uh, to me, that is very impressive. I think that this is a guy who just ends up taking over the unit. Uh, I do think guys like Montreal Johnson, uh, Lingard, and, and Naquan Wright, I think they're all talented. I think this guy is just going to take the, he's going to, he's going to steal the show. So uh, my first bold, my, my first player bold prediction is that Trevor Etienne leads the team uh, in rushing yards. Now, my question to you is, are you sticking with the same guy, Montrell Johnson to lead the team in rushing touchdowns? Again, uh, Anthony Richardson is in play. Yeah, I'm going to go with Richardson here on this wow. one. I, I think that, I think that just his ability in, short yardage situations. Um, I, I, I think that his ability to, you know, create outside of the play, his dynamic play capability, um, all those things of all the, of all the guys that we've mentioned, the four running backs and the quarterback, he's obviously going to be on the field the most. So I think that he has the most potential to score the most rushing touchdowns this season. Um, so I'm going to go with him. I, maybe that's not seen as a safe, safe, safe bet in your mind, but um, I, I'm thinking that he's going to end up having the most rushing touchdowns for for this team this season. All right, uh, I'm going to go with Montreal Johnson. I'm going to go with your first pick. Uh, I think his ability to uh, run inside the tackles, his physicality, will benefit him in goal line scenarios. Uh, I can see that being his role in a crowded room. Uh, somebody who's going to go and 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 rush in between the tackles and pick up hard fought yards. That bodes well uh, in, in short yardage scoring situations. Uh, and I think that that is why Johnson is uh, my pick. I will say this, though. Uh, my second place pick is probably Anthony Richardson for a variety of reasons. Uh, I think you outlined them perfectly. So I will just leave it to your explanation. 
uh, and move on to the next question, which is the number of 600-yard rushers on this Florida team. I will exclude Anthony Richardson from this because we've already talked about how you and I both believe that he will rush for over 700 yards, which automatically includes him here. Uh, let's talk running backs, though. There are four scholarship running backs. We expect all of them to participate. Louisiana last year had three 600-yard rushers, for reference. Uh, what is your number and why? Ooh, 600 is an interesting number. I'm going to go with three, and here's who I'm thinking. Obviously, Richardson, Johnson, and then I'm going to agree with you that I believe Trevor Etienne is going to have more than 600 rushing yards this season. Um, I, I do think he's going to come in third in the pecking order, but I do think he's going to finish above Wright in Lingard in that regard. And even though I think Wright could lead the unit in receiving yards, I think Etienne's going to have more rushing yards than him this season. So I'm going to go with three. I'm going to go with two. Uh, I, I think that this is a good unit, like we've said now in several different podcasts. I think that they have a couple potent guys in there. Uh, but I do think as the season goes on, they start to realize that there are probably one or two guys who stand out from the rest of the group. Uh, and those two guys start to get the, the lion's share of the carries. Uh, and the two who I think will do it, I'm going to go with Naquan Wright and Trevor Etienne. I think Montreal Johnson is just, just shy of that 600-yard uh, mark. Excuse me. I think I end up regretting this pick. I think Johnson actually probably gets there. But for, for now, I'm going to go with two. Uh, who leads the room in receiving yards, though? So we, we've we've done rushing yards. Uh, we've done how many over 600 rushing yards. Is there a notable pass catcher among this quartet of running backs? And uh, who will it be, uh, in your opinion? In, in Out of the running backs in terms of receiving yards? Out of the running backs in terms oh, of receiving man. yards. I got to go with Naquan Wright then. You know, I've been repping him all along and as being Florida's best pass catching back. I obviously am a little bit tempted to uh, to go with ETN here, but I'm going to go with Naquan Wright. I've seen it time and time again. He's he's great on wheel routes, and I, I think that he's good. Looked good, you know, coming out of the flat, and he's a guy who you know you really don't know what he's going to do when he's out there at times. And I think that that is going to contribute to him being the leading receiving back um, in this team. And they just trust him. I think his, his veteran leadership again is going to I think lead to them trusting a running back to to be an option in the receiving game this year. And you know what? I will uh, give it no further explanation. I agree with you on the name. Uh, I agree with you on the reasoning. I'm going with Naquan Wright. Uh, let's talk more about receiving, though. Let's go to the category of receiving yards in general. I want to talk about who is going to lead this team uh, in total receiving yards, and I will use this opportunity quickly also as a plug uh, for some of our own work. Uh, if you are following us on YouTube, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else that you can get your audio-only content, uh, then you will have probably seen that we are also, at the same time as this podcast, releasing a series of shows about uh, each position group on Florida's roster, where we break down what each group has and does not have in terms of strengths and weaknesses. Uh, we talk about depth chart. We get into the weeds on each position group, specifically one per episode. Uh, and we're almost all the way through that. Yesterday, uh, being Monday, August 29th, we, received, we released one about the wide receivers, and we actually did some predictions in that podcast. So uh, make sure you check that out. Uh, give it a listen. We can put a link to it uh, on the screen now for you on YouTube if that's where you're watching. Uh, but Graham, I'm going to send it to you. Receiving yards leader, who and why? I'm going to go with Ricky Pearsall. 
even though I think there are some concerns about how healthy he is heading into this opener and his availability, you know, at times throughout fall camp was uh, non-existent. Let's call it that. I think that he has the most dynamic play potential in this offense. I think that he can take the top off. He can do a lot of really good things for this team and the trust kind of the same point I just made about Naquan Wright, the trust between him and the coaching staff is very evident in my mind. And I think that that's going to lead him to be the leading receiver for this Florida team this season. I love it because we're going to keep it quick. We're going to keep it moving. I agree with you. I think Ricky Pearsall, despite being the newcomer is the standout guy in the unit. And that is in spite of him hardly participating in fall camp, as you said, suffered that double bone bruise uh, in his foot held him out for the majority of camp. I don't think it makes a bit of difference. I think that this guy is dynamic. I think that he uh, adds an element to this receiving room that doesn't exist without him. Uh, and for that reason, he ends up becoming target number one and leads the team in receiving yards. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's my reasoning there. Let's talk receiving touchdowns, though. Uh, are you sticking with Ricky in that category? Uh, if so, why? And also give me a reason if you're going to change it up. Yeah, I am going to go with him. Just his ability in short yardage situations. You know, even though I do think Florida is going to run the ball a lot of the time when they get down into the red zone, I think that he still is the best option if you are going to choose to throw it. I know that Justin Shorter, his size makes him kind of an appealing guy to have him just, you know, be a guy who can go up there and get it when Florida needs to just throw it up in the back of the end zone. But I do think that Ricky, his combination of agility, footwork, the trust, like I mentioned, that's going to lead him to being the number one go-to target, whether they're in the red zone, whether they're on a big play, whether, you know, wherever he is coming out of the backfield, even, I think that it's going to be Pearsall who has a chance to be uh, the guy who leads this team in receiving touchdowns. So this is an interesting little uh, situation I have. I don't remember who I said on our wide receivers podcast yesterday. So this could be a completely different answer. Uh, I will leave it to our subscribers to hold me accountable. Uh, I am going to say Justin Shorter on receiving touchdowns. I believe that's who I said. Uh, during the wide receiver podcast as well. Uh, and you outline the reasons. I like his height. I think his athleticism in red zone scenarios ends up proving beneficial uh, in this statistical category. I like Ricky potentially to do it as well. Uh, but for me, it comes down to uh, the size advantage and the ability potentially to, to throw a ball up uh, and have a receiver go get it. I would trust my, my six foot four wide receiver over my six foot one wide receiver uh, if I had to pick. Uh, and for that reason, I'm going Justin Shorter. The last receiving category, who leads in total receptions? Uh, does Ricky get the trifecta for you? I am tempted um, to choose a guy that we haven't mentioned, like Dante Zanders or, or you know, possibly Justin Shorter. But I, I am going to go with Ricky, and I kind of land, you know, laid it out there already. I, he's going to be a guy who's going to be used in short yardage, you know, scenarios a lot of the time, and, and I think that he just provides you with as a guy in the slot that can do a lot of things. He's going to be used a lot of the time. And I think that that's just going to result in, in him being the guy that leads in, in receptions. Okay. Uh, I'm going Ricky. I, I think that uh, with, with yards comes volume. Uh, I think that he runs a variety of routes very well. Uh, and I think that very simply put, that is what allows him to lead the team uh, in total receptions. That will do it for the wide receiver category, but we're going to briefly talk tight ends. Uh, give me, uh, in one fell swoop, uh, who leads in all three of those categories among Florida's tight ends? Again, that's uh, receiving yards leader, receiving touchdowns, and receptions. 
uh, if you want to just rattle off all three categories, uh, you can go for it. I'm going to go with Dante Zanders for all three. I think okay. that his combination of technique, his frame, um, ideal frame, his physicality at the position, his knowledge, you know, being a, a 3D guy for this team. Um, I, I think that that's going to result in him just being the number one option and that's going to result in the production. So I'm going to go with Dante Zanders, which is, again, we talked about this on the preview, just quite a surprise for someone who was looking to depart Gainesville and had been used as kind of this multi-tool fill-in band-aid, if you will, even at times in this room. And, and now is going to be your number one option in an offense that is going to very similar to how often they're going to use the running backs are, are always going to have one, if not two tight ends on the field at all times. So it's a huge role for Xanders. And, and I think that he's going to surprise a lot of people and also produce from a um, receiving uh standpoint as well i'm with you uh nothing else to say really i i think that dante Sanders is the guy uh in all of those categories that are going to show up on a stat sheet i think zipper is probably your guy uh if you needed to to take your bet of who's going to do a better job in a blocking scenario i personally would put would put keon zipper on the field uh as far as receiving yards touchdowns and receptions go uh, i'm trusting tight end one to get the job done that's dante Sanders. Uh, let's move to the offensive line. Uh, this is a very brief category, but I think an important one last year, Florida allowed just 14 sacks, tremendous, tremendous performance from the offensive line. Uh, this year you and I are wondering, do they repeat? So over under 14 and a half sacks allowed, are they going to, uh, match or improve or are they going to be slightly worse? This is a, this is a tough one, I think, because I, I think that, while the overall offensive line play is going to be better this season, I think that that's something that I think a lot of people, not just myself, are are expecting this year. I do think that the play calling and how defenses are going to look to, to compete with Florida and line up with Florida is going to allow for a, a scenario where there is an increase in sacks. I... I'm hesitant still to predict it, but I, you know, I, I got to go ahead and just say that, yeah, I think that they're going to have more than 14 and a half sacks this season strictly for what they're asking Richardson to do and how, like I said, teams are going to line up against them uh, and the, the play calling from for Florida as well. The use of play action, even I, I think that, that is going to result in an increase in sacks this year, but Hey, if you're averaging one, two sacks per game. I don't really think that that, to use this word again, is an indictment of the, the talent level of your offensive line in, in any sense, or your quarterback's ability to read the defense and, and make the good decision and throw it away. I think that that's fair. Uh, I am also going to go over, and I think that the uh, point you made about play calling is really important. I think that this offense is going to put uh, the offensive line in a position where it's going to be constantly trying to protect a quarterback who will be moving frequently. This is not a guy, uh, even on plays where he doesn't cross the line of scrimmage to to potentially make a run. I think Anthony Richardson's uh, legs are involved quite heavily uh, on every pass play. I think that he is the kind of guy who's going to move around, who can buy himself extra time by moving around behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, I think that he's the kind of guy who frequently rolls out of the pocket entirely to try and create some space for himself uh, on play actions. And I think that when that happens it, it, by nature, it makes it more difficult for an offensive line to defend against. I think that 
when you have a quarterback who's moving and your offensive linemen are not looking at the quarterback, they don't know where he's going. The defense has that benefit of being able to see where he's moving uh, and being able to adjust while the offensive line's back is to the quarterback. And I think that the result of that is occasionally more sacks. Uh, I, I also would agree with you, though, that I think that this is a unit that has the potential to be very strong for Florida. Uh, I think, it, as a matter of fact, I think it could be Florida's best unit or one of its best units when all is said and done at the end of the season. Uh, still, I think that that 14 and a half number uh, is a pretty safe bet for the over. Uh, and the last offensive line category, yards per carry. Last year, Florida was fantastic in this statistic. Uh, well over five yards per carry. We set the number at five to not overdo it. Also, given the volume of run, uh, that number could go down in Napier's offense. But I will give you uh, the mic. What What is your prediction on over under five yards per carry? Ooh, this is a good one. I'm going to go with over, slightly over. I know that last year at Louisiana, um, it was right under five. And then, like you said, that was, I think, a testament to the high volume of run plays. And, and I think that even though fans were of the opinion that Florida didn't run the ball enough last year, the consensus in Gainesville was that when Florida did run it, they had capable rushers and that they should run it more often. I think that when you do have a tendency to run and the opposing team is expecting run, that that is going to lead to a slightly lower um, success rate at times and, and therefore a slightly lower average. So I am, um, I, I am going to go with over five, but I do think that, uh, you know, I'm telling people right now, expect a little bit of a dip in uh, effectiveness of every single run play. Cause that was something that you did see last year when Florida did run it, it was pretty successful. And, and there's going to be some times where, the opposing defense blows the play up. That uh, I think is a fair point. I, I I think Florida exceeds the five. I think it's close. I think that it's not like I'm not talking five and a half or anywhere over five and a half. I'm thinking like 5.2, 5.3, uh, maybe 5.4 yards per rush. And that would be a great season. Let me just be clear. Um, I think that over five is great. Uh, if you can rely on your running backs to pick up basically half of the yardage to, to uh, move the chains. That's a big deal. So I think that Florida is in a good spot uh, with that. And I, uh, I won't say much more than that. I think it's an easy over. Let's move to defense, Graham. Uh, let's talk sacks. Florida has a couple guys, I think, who could be potent in this category. Uh, you're talking Javon Dexter, uh, Brenton Cox. I think even Ventral Miller could be a factor uh, in the race to who leads the team in sacks. And then you got a couple of sneaky guys. Uh, Princey Uman Mielin, I hope I said his name right, uh, and, and a, Justice Boone maybe is another sneaky guy uh, that you could pick. But uh, without further ado, your sacks leader for the 2022 Florida season. Yeah, I'm going to go Brenton Cox. Um, I, I think that given his history, his level of talent, and, and his role in this defense, even though there is going to be the chance that he is going to drop more into coverage rather than rush the passer. I, I do think that you are going to see this be a guy who consistently wins his one-on-one -on -one matchups, gets to the quarterback and, and sacks the quarterback. If not, it's credited for, for half a sack there when he combines with one of these other defensive linemen. Um, I, I'm going to go with Brenton Cox. I, I just think that you also, yeah, we don't say it here, but this guy who had a very productive season last year and, and, he wasn't even fully healthy for the majority of it. Um, so I think that given that now he is back and healthy um, and in, in a new scheme that I think is going to uh, 
help him a little bit more, free him up even a little bit more, um, you're going to see him have a better season. And I'm going to go with him. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to echo you. I think that this is a guy who uh, has the potential to be a very high NFL draft pick. I think that this is a guy who could be in the conversation for, you know, sacks leaders in the sec overall. Uh, and that is in spite of the, the added coverage responsibility in Patrick Tony's defense, uh, you know, with playing that hybrid role, Jack linebacker, where you could end up uh, covering the flat, uh, dropping back into a man assignment even. Uh, I, but, I, but I still think that Cox off the edge uh, ends up being uh, dominant. So I think he leads the Gators in sacks. Uh, let's talk picks. Who leads the Gators in interceptions this year? Uh, I think like the, the sacks category, this is one that could go in a number of different directions. Oof. I was thinking Jason Marshall. That at first glance, you'd think opportunity, skill, all right there. Um, I kind of want to go with a surprising candidate, though, um, and, and go with Jalen Kimber. Just wow. because we've seen his potential. I, I just wonder if he's going to have uh, a very elevated role. I know that in the spring game, he was someone working his way back, and he didn't necessarily have a chance to run with the first team defense at times. And, and then at that other, you know, corner spot, they have worked in a variety of guys, whether it's Avery Helm, Jordan Young, even, um, and, and, you know, Kimber may not be the number one guy right there, but just his, his ability to come up with interceptions, um, his nose for the football. Um, you know, I even thought about Trey Dean here in this one, but um, I kind of want to go with a crazy pick in Jalen Kimber, just based on his talent level. I think that he has a chance to do it. Um, this may look like a crazy pick at the end of the year when, when he maybe isn't in the starting corner like like he would like to be. But, um, and you know, there's a lot of talent in that room. Devin Moore, too, even a guy that I think that you can't rule out as being a potential candidate. So, but, you know, I'm going to go with a crazy pick and go with Jalen Kimber. I, I'm interested to see where you're thinking, though. Yeah, you and I have been in agreement on a lot of categories. For those of you who are wondering why I keep looking down away from the camera, uh, if you're watching this, it's because I'm actually writing down all of our all of our predictions. So at some point later on in the year, uh, there can be some either crow eaten or some accountability held uh, for these predictions. Uh, I, on my page, see a lot of agreement between the two of us recently. I will disagree with you for the first time in a while. Uh, I'm going Jason Marshall. I, I think that uh, he's cornerback one. I think even though we didn't really see him perform uh, throughout the fall, uh, we understand that that was throughout, you know, that was that was a byproduct of precaution. Uh, it was a minor hamstring injury that Florida felt there was no need to risk re-aggravating, especially because they knew that this would be the number one guy at the position no matter what. They didn't need to learn anything. They felt he was ready. Uh, it was safe to be safe. Uh, and I think that now that the season is upon us, I think that this is a guy who ends up being just fine from a health standpoint. Uh, and because of his talent, uh, I think he leads the team in that category who do you think leads the team in tackles this season uh, i think again this is an area that you can go uh several directions in i it could be even somebody uh who plays along the defensive front a brenton cox would be a very reasonable pick uh it wouldn't surprise me if it was either a florida starting two middle linebackers but i will say no more uh wh where are you headed here yeah i was a little bit tempted to go with trey dean in this one a guy who had what 90 plus tackles last year led Florida in that regard. 
but I am going to go with Ventrell Miller. I, I do think that he is proven. He had it, you know, the, the title um, of Florida's leading tackler a couple seasons ago before he got injured. He was in on double digit tackles all the time in Florida's competitions. Whether he is going to be in a position where he is the top tackler, I do think it, that remains to be seen in this defense. But I am going to go with Ventrell Miller. I just think he makes the most sense. And he also is a very skilled player. Like, uh, that cannot be, I think, overshadowed when it comes to his ability to um, pick up the ball carrier and, and make the tackle. He's a very sound tackler as well, of course. So I'm, I'm going to go with Ventrell Miller here. See, I'm, I'm hesitant to go with Ventrell Miller. And it's not because I don't think he's super talented. Uh, it's not because I don't think uh, anything. I really don't think anything negative of him. I, I think that my biggest concern is his health. Uh, last year, obviously, he he suffered a season-ending injury uh, very early on in his campaign. He has, you know, led Florida in tackles in his career. Uh, but we saw a lot of black non-contact for Ventrell Miller throughout fall camp. Uh, and, and, and there has been no indication that he is unhealthy. Uh, but I do wonder if there will be some uh, load management for him in some games that are probably considered less important. So against a UCF, against an Eastern Washington? Will Florida choose to uh, ease off the gas on their six-year senior linebacker just to ensure uh, his health and, and, and you know, just kind of be wary of the miles that they're going to put on him? I think it's possible. And I'm hesitant to pick somebody who I have concerns about whether or not he will play uh, at the fullest capacity out of an abundance of caution. And for that reason, I'm going with 2021's tackles later. I am going to go trade Dean. He recorded 92 tackles last year. Uh, I don't think that there's a reason he should record fewer this season. So uh, I have him atop that category, pass breakups. Let's talk pass breakups. I think Dean uh, is in contention here as well. Uh, who are you going with in terms of uh, who's the biggest menace for opposing quarterbacks? I'm thinking I'm, I'm thinking Dean here in, in this regard. I, I think that he just has the opportunity. I, obviously, Jason Marshall, I think, is a, a solid candidate as well, even Avery Helm. But I'm going to go with Trey Dean. You know, he, he led Florida along with tackles in pass breakups last season. I, I think that he just is a very solid option, and I'm going to go with him. I think he has another really good season now that, you know, back as, as the starting safety. This, this scheme, I think, is very favorable to him. Sometimes you'll see – six defensive backs on the field at one time. And I think that Dean is, is going to capitalize on a lot of that stuff. Uh, you and I are back on the same page. I, I think, I think Dean gets it done here. Uh, I think that the challenge with picking a cornerback is that if he, if a corner gets really good, right? So say Jason Marshall gets super hot, like just, just unstoppable. Uh, teams are going to start to, to slow down on how much they're going to target wide receivers in his vicinity. Uh, corners are easier to avoid. Uh, if a guy gets hot or is just kind of too challenging to deal with, whereas a safety uh, has a little bit more of that coverage freedom that could allow him to get closer uh, to a higher volume of passes to defend. And for that reason, I'm going with uh, Trey Dean for the pass breakups. We are in the home stretch uh, of, of the prediction episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. Uh, we are now into the broad uh, team categories, and this was a question that you posed to me before the show. I think it's interesting. Uh, which freshman plays the most? I want to rephrase that though, uh, from how we how we worded it before the show. I I'm thinking who is the most impressive freshman. So 
Uh, is there somebody maybe who doesn't play as much as a different freshman, but makes more of an impact while he's on the field? Uh, that is the question I will now pose to you. Who is your preseason freshman standout projection? Yeah, I think there are certainly a few here. Um, you know, Trey Smack is even one that we haven't really mentioned, the guy who could win the starting kicker battle. Um, there certainly has been some clamor about Devin Moore, his potential. And even we wrote about this, Chris McClellan. I, I think that he will see a role in, in Florida's defensive line room. Um, but I'm going to go with Shamar James. You alluded to some of the health concerns there with the linebackers, not just Ventral Miller, but Amari Bernie. You know, even though he said, uh, we're recording this Tuesday, August 30th, even though he said yesterday on the on the 29th, that he's fully healthy. I, I think that there are certainly some concerns about playing those guys the entirety of the game, like you said. And I think that Shamar James, from what he's done since getting on campus, you know, that's a guy that I think it, he's, from what we've heard, is the most impressive of the freshmen. Billy Napier went ahead and called him exceptional, which you do not hear too much about many players, let alone a freshman. That's pretty high praise from someone who I think hasn't tried to say too much about what Florida is going to do. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to agree with Billy Napier and I'm going to go with Shamar James. I, I think that he is going to be Florida's most impressive freshman. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to keep on, I'm going to keep on hammering home my, uh, my, my predictions and my uh, thoughts about Trevor Etienne. I have made this public uh, over the last several weeks. I think that this is a guy who has immense potential, uh, especially within this offense. I think Billy Napier sees that. I think a lot of his teammates see that. Uh, and so very simply put, uh, for the reasons I've already outlined in this show and others, I think Trevor Etienne is your 2022 freshman Florida standout. Uh, who's the most underrated player on this roster, Graham? And this could be anybody, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. Uh, positions don't matter. Uh, who who do you think is not getting as much credit as they deserve? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a very tough question. Um, I, I kind of want to go with Jermon Dexter. I think that there are a lot of people who have the mentality that you've seen the best of this guy or that he maybe, you know, is prone to taking a few plays off. I, I don't get that sense at all. You've seen him, you know, dominate in fall camp. You've heard from people inside the building that this is someone who has brought a new professional approach, is a lot more serious about a lot of the aspects from diet to training to how they carry themselves on the field. And I would not be surprised if we are, like you said, eating crow here at the middle of the season about some of these categories because Dexter is having such a dominant year and is leading the way in several of them. I, I wouldn't be surprised by that whatsoever. I think that he is someone who is underrated. And by the end of the year, I wouldn't be surprised if he was being talked about as this possible second, maybe a first round pick here in, in for the Gators after next year going into next year. You know, I, right before I asked you the question of most underrated, thought that I was going to be all creative and I was going to have this big fancy thing to say about how fans might not understand why I'm going to name this player the most underrated because he, you know, Florida fans think he's so good. Uh, I was very excited about it. And then you said Jervon Dexter. That is the guy I was going to pick. And I think that there, you know, for a Florida fan to hear underrated with Jervon Dexter's name in the same sentence, I think could be jarring. Uh, I think that, you know, you hear this guy, there are people who have projected him into the first round. 
uh, you know, Florida media members have made it very clear throughout the spring and into fall camp that this is Florida's best defensive player, uh, just an uber talented guy. Florida's coaching staff has has gushed about him. Sean Spencer has has offered raving reviews uh, for this sophomore defensive tackle, uh, but he still doesn't feel like he's getting the recognition he deserves in my mind. Uh, was not a first team All Conference selection. Uh, by the media in the preseason. Uh, and I think that that kind of speaks more to the uh, outside of the Gainesville bubble attitude towards Jervon Dexter. I think that people think he's good, but I don't think people view him as like really good top of the defense caliber type of player. Uh, and so my pick of Jervon Dexter as the most underrated might not be a byproduct of the attitude towards him from Florida fans. I think uh, for those listening to this and upset by the pick, uh, it's not because of you. Uh, I think that Florida fans uh, rate him just fine. Uh, this is for outside of, of, of Florida fandom, outside of Florida media uh, perception of Jervon Dexter. I think that he does not get the national acclaim uh, that he should be. And it brings me to my final category. Uh, and this is the one that I think gets people the most riled up. Give me a season prediction uh, for Florida's record. Uh, how many games do they win in the SEC? Uh, wh where are you going here? So, so perfect response would be uh, overall wins and losses, and then give me uh, conference wins and losses. Oof, man. I am going to go with seven and five for Florida. I do think that that is not an indictment of the program whatsoever. I think it's a very tough schedule. We've talked about this conference. I'm going to go three and five. And uh, I think that that is just a very, uh, that's a very impressive number given how things stand, given the status of a lot of Florida opponents, Kentucky, Tennessee, obviously Georgia, and then going to Texas A&M, Texas a LSU, having a very competent head coach, you name it. There's a lot of reasons why Florida easily could lose six SEC games, and I think that them winning three rather than only two would, would be an impressive year, even if it's just over the likes of Missouri, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. Let me ask you this question. With just three wins in SEC play, that's that's eight of Florida's games. Uh, what What is Florida's record in your – or sorry, uh, does Florida open its season then with a win over Utah? Because to get to seven wins, the wins are going to have to come from somewhere. Uh do you have do you have the Gators beating the Utes week one? I do think the more I think about it, that it's very possible Florida beats Utah. And to be seven and five, yeah, like you said, they would have to beat Utah. And I wasn't really ready to come out here, Jacob, and sit here and say Florida fans were gonna see their team go five hundred this year and and possibly have the same thing happen to them as last year and kind of look like, in a sense, they were stuck in the mud. I mean, if you go six and six and then lose your bowl game, you're Theoretically, if you care about that win-loss record, you're at the same place you started at the end of last year at 6-7. and seven. I do think a win over Utah in the swamp with in front of 90,000 people when they don't really know what you're going to do and you return a lot of talent from Brenton Cox to Ventrell Miller, guys who weren't healthy last year, and you get a dominant Javon Dexter and Anthony Richardson having prepared the full year, I think it is possible that Florida, at their healthiest, potentially, in the season opener, 
can beat a top 10 team that is having to come into their building. I, I think that absolutely that that is doable. I think it would be very close. I think that they would have to rely in a sense on the elements, the fans, the weather, possibly a little rain that makes it very favorable to see which runner can uh, gain the most ground. I do think it's possible that Florida beats Utah. But with all that said, three weeks ago, I predicted that Florida would lose to Utah 34-21 to when I made my initial prediction. And that's a 13-point gap that is quite a big swing. I do think right now that that game between Florida and Utah is 50-50 in my mind. I could see it going either way. And that means that it's 50-50 whether Florida has a 7-5 finish or a 6-6 finish. And the optics of that, I think the, the two are much different than um, what it's going to actually come down to, if that's going to make sense. Sure. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Breaking news. Graham Hall, uh, based on his record prediction, has Florida uh, not only beating a top 10 team week one, but going undefeated in non-con games this season. Uh, you have Florida being ranked second week of the year. If they, if they come away with a win over number seven Utah, that's a that's a straight shot into the top 25. So so big stuff here on the Swamp 247 podcast uh, from Graham Hall. I will be uh, a little bit more moderate in each direction. I think I agree with you uh, on the overall uh, wins and losses. I think Florida goes seven and five this season, but I give it a little bit more credit in conference play. I think it's an even split, four wins, four losses. I think the losses come against Tennessee, Georgia, AM, and then you can pick one more uh, amongst the remaining games. Uh, for a record of four and four, I do not think Florida beats Utah uh, week one. But you and I will discuss that much more. This actually brings me to our uh, to our closing portion of this podcast. Of course, we you know we thank you all for listening uh, throughout this uh, this show. Uh, again, drop your comments with some of these uh, some of these predictions. We'd love to hear what you have to say uh, about what this Florida team will do. Uh, and make sure you keep an eye out for a lot more content. We have more position groups to still preview. Uh, those will be going up throughout the next couple of days leading up to uh, the season opener on Saturday. Uh, I think we've got three more positions left, linebacker, secondary, uh, and defensive line. Uh, we will have a Utah-specific podcast where we talk uh, about the game, what fans can expect. That will be dropping on Thursday. Today is Tuesday, August 30th, uh, so you're just a couple days away from that. Uh, and we have plenty of written content, too. Head on over to swamp247.com for all of our season preview content. We've got lots of it. Billy Napier had a press conference yesterday on Monday. He'll talk again tomorrow, uh, Wednesday in the evening. Florida also expected to drop its depth chart uh, ahead of its upcoming season. So lots to look forward to if you are a Florida fan, and we will have it covered for you over at swamp247.com. For Graham Hall, my name is Jacob Rudner, thanking you for listening to this prediction episode for the upcoming 2022 Florida season. Uh, and we will see you on the next episode. We've got lots coming out soon. See you soon. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Ha! Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!